Well, good morning. Happy Father's Day to you. Um, we understand that like Mother's Day, Father's Day comes with some tender challenges, right, related to dreams and hopes and how life is played out versus the unknown of what is yet to come. And so today we're going to venture into a little bit of, uh, I would call it tender territory as we go through our Family Matters series, like one of the tense areas um, with regard to the realm of expectation versus reality for many fathers, many parents for that matter, even sometimes spouses or children of, of adult parents. And that's it. I want to take a look this morning at what the Bible says about parenting your prodigal, okay? living in relationship with those who have ventured or wandered from um, the path that we had hoped they would stay on or the path that we are walking, a path that is in line with how God has laid out life should be for us. I want you to turn to the book of Judges chapter 13. That's on page 247 in that chair Bible in front of you. So turn there in that Bible, your own Bible, maybe your Bible app. With regard to this, it's reading about the couple that's mentioned in this passage. They couldn't have children. It was a time of great upheaval in their nation, and it felt like their whole country had fractured. And it had happened over a long time. Weeks turned into months, and the months turned into years. And while the country was a mess... Certainly their own hearts, their own spirits felt that way as well because their inability to have children made them feel broken as a couple. Well, one day God makes it clear to the wife of this couple that she would conceive and that she would give birth to a son. And so she was thrilled and she went into kind of um, prenatal care mode, if you would, and Decided to, you know, just commit. She wasn't going to drink any alcohol. She wasn't going to eat any food that might harm the baby or be bad for the baby. Now, it's unlikely that you know the names of these parents. In fact, one of them we just don't know at all. But you probably know their son. Their son was legendary as it relates to his strength. But his, um, his sins, they led to his downfall and are part of what he's known for. Right? His name was Samson. Now, the husband in this couple, the father of Samson, his name is Manoah. We don't know the wife's name. It's never mentioned in the scriptures. What we do know is that they, they sensed that this son of theirs was going to be special. And so they set him apart for God's purposes. Samson's mother was told by an angel that their boy would be a Nazarite, okay, which was just someone who took a special vow to be separated apart for God's use, for ministry, if you would. And the idea was that he would be totally committed to God's work. He was never to cut his hair. He was never to drink alcohol. He wasn't to touch the corpse of a dead body, and he wasn't to eat unclean foods. And these outward actions or commitments were really just to be meant to be symbolic of his inner dedication to God. And the mother was told that this son, Samson, was going to save 
the people of God from their enemies. At this point in their history, they were now 40 years in servitude to the Philistines, their enemies. In, in the cycle of things, they were in bondage as a people. And Samson's mother was told that I'm going to use this child that you're going to give birth to to break the people of Israel free. So, Manoah, the father, upon hearing that his wife had heard this news from a man of God that later turned out to be an angel, okay, felt overwhelmed, okay, inadequate for the task. Okay. Many of us, before we were, or when it became known that we were going to be uh, first-time parents, <laughs> have felt overwhelmed, right, inadequate for the task. Little did we know how overwhelmed we would be. And how inadequate we would feel so many times in our journey. But Manoah turns to the Lord and, and he prays. And so in Judges 13, verses 8, and then again in verse 12, he, he prays to God. Listen to what he prays. He says, pardon your servant, Lord. I beg you to let the man of God you sent to us come to teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. What is to be the child's manner of life? And what is his mission? And so as parents, I think we would do well to take note of these verses as a great way to pray. All right. So Manoah, overwhelmed by what is ahead of him, starts out with just a reverence for God. Puts himself in the right, um, right place in his, his, uh, as a follower of God, right? And he passionately requests God's help. And then he seeks clarity for the direction that his child is supposed to go towards God's mission. Great ways for us to pray for our children and about our children in that way. And I think minimally, at least it, it tells us that, that Samson is going to be introduced to a home that has godly parents, God-fearing parents, God-honoring parents in that way. But as we're going to see, like a godly home is not a guarantee of a godly life. We won't find that guarantee anywhere. Now Samson, okay, the son that's going to be born to Manoah and his wife, he's a fairly well-known figure in the Old Testament. A lot of us know the story of Samson, but I want to, especially here in Judges chapter 14, the next chapter, I want to point out some poor choices in the life of Samson to help us realize that just because we raise them right, just because we teach them right, doesn't mean that they respond appropriately all the time. And, and just as a reminder, neither did we, right, respond appropriately all the time as kids. So, when we think about Samson's life, what we know is like his deeds were legendary. But his flaws, well, they proved to be very fatal in his life. His, his strength um, on the outside was evident. But so was his lack of control on the inside. Okay? Uh, he was extremely gifted, but he wasn't very godly in his life. And he's just a, 
a sad example for us again as a reminder. Godly parents don't always produce godly children. We'll talk about why that is as we go along. But Judges 14 shows us what I would call at least some reckless choices that Samson made in his life, counter to what his parents had taught him, but his choices nonetheless. And the first was this. He went to the wrong place. If you're in Judges chapter 14, look at verse 1. It says, Samson went down to Timnah. Now, Timnah was a Philistine village in territory. It was about four miles down the ridge from where Samson's village was. And his venturing there tells us something about his life. He crossed lines that God had set up. He went places God had said not to go. And I think it shows us um, at this point as he's growing up, there's some declines in his spiritual life that are evident by his choices. He left God's people. He headed south spiritually. Okay? He ventured into that place that God had prohibited. But not only that, he went looking for the wrong thing. When you look again in um, verse 1, it says, and at Timnah, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Okay? Now, when you put that all in the context of what's going on, he went looking for one of the daughters of the Philistines. And this was a problem because when he, told, when he went home and he told his parents in verse 2, um, he says, I, I've, I've found or I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. <laughs> Okay? And, and that there became the problem. I mean, this isn't how his parents raised him. He wasn't to go to these places. He wasn't to go looking for these particular things in these places for sure. But one of the foolish parts of Samson's life is that he constantly rejected godly counsel. Okay? As part of the path of the prodigal is you have to reject God and his counsel to get to where you're going. I mean, his mom and dad had urged him to marry an Israelite because God wanted his people to marry Israelites and not someone who is an unbelieving Philistine. But as you read through the text, you see this ongoing disrespect that Samson had for his parents and ultimately for God by demanding there in verse 3, get her for me. She's the right one for me. God says she's not the right one. Her parents say she's not the right one. But Samson said, I, I see her. <laughs> I want her. She must be the right one. That's what's ruling his life. And yet by blowing off his parents, Samson is also blowing off God. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and Exodus chapter 34 and numerous places throughout the scriptures in the Old Testament... God had warned them about not marrying someone from the neighboring pagan nations. Well, that's not all. We find as we read through Judges 14 and on that Samson is also constantly compromising the commitments that he made. Certainly his parents made those commitments, but Samson also took that Nazarite vow. So next he goes into a vineyard, which was forbidden by his vows. And he encounters a young lion, and he tears it apart with his bare hands, which also meant that um, he would have touched a dead corpse, right? One of the vows that he vowed not to take. In verse 6, it says, but he didn't tell his mother or father what he'd done when he tore apart that lion. 
because they knew it was a commitment he had made and it was a violation of it. And just if minimally a violation of the spirit of his Nazarite vow. And then look down at verse 10. It said that Samson held a feast which was, con- was customary for a young man, meaning it's like a wild bachelor's party <laughs> that he threw. Get her for me. I want her. We're going to get married. We're going to have a party with regard to it. And he breaks yet another vow. And, and all that just to show, certainly he's broken his parents' heart. And that's what the prodigal does. They break the hearts of their parents. So here are these, um, not perfect, but good parents and godly parents who have passionately prayed and tried to do everything right. And here they are left only to watch and to worry. Not just their son is stumbling, but realize at this point, Samson is pursuing the things that aren't of God. He's not wandering into these places. He is headstrong going that way. So why do kids head south spiritually? It's a burdening question. And it's sometimes not very easily answered. Some of us um, as parents, right? We have ongoing, heavy hearts as we wonder, where is our child's wandering heart, even at this very moment? Well, we haven't been perfect as parents. We un- struggle to understand sometimes why our children do what they do, why they make the choices that they make. And in the middle of that cloud of lots of different things, words come to mind. Words like crushed and wounded. Words like failure and rejection and embarrassed and humiliated and angry and sad and isolated and lonely. Words like frustrated and grieved, and guilty and shame. That is the, the struggle of the parent of the prodigal, or sometimes of the spouse of the prodigal, or even at times of the child of the prodigal. And so I want to say this to us as dads and moms, or whatever relationship we might be to the prodigal. While it's critical, and we've talked about it all through this series, to pass along our faith to our children, we are not ultimately responsible for how they turn out. Because godly parents don't always produce godly children. It matters significantly how we parent our children. And we spend a lot of time, and we'll always spend a lot of time on that. But ultimately, our children have to make their own choices as it relates to life, and as it relates to eternity. Samson's parents, they prayed for him. They taught him God's way. They impressed the truth on him. They lived a godly life in front of him. And they tried to pass along their faith, and yet Samson still went his own way, like many do today. Now, we know, like each individual, we, even as 
parents are trying to be godly or spouse or child are trying to be godly, we know that all of us struggle with complete obedience to God. Every one of us is tempted by sin. And let's not forget, Satan's aim is always going to be to attack the family in particular in that way. And I don't say it as a cop-out, but as a reality. Our children have their own will. They will make their own choices. And sometimes we beat ourselves up over the choices that our children make, but the choices are theirs to make. In Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20, it talks about parents and children not bearing the guilt of one another. It says this, The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. It's so hard to remember and, and it's hard to even have a peace with, but our children's failures are not our failures. Just as our parents' failures are not our failures, depending on which way you're looking. I want you to turn with me in the New Testament to Luke chapter 15. It's page 1035 in those Bibles in front of you. Samson is an example of the prodigal son of the Old Testament. And this well-known passage in Luke chapter 15 is going to give... That's the picture, actually, of two particular prodigal sons in the New Testament, though we're really only going to have time to deal with the younger one today. Now, Luke 15, in context, all three parables actually are about God's heart for lost people, more than they are. this parable is about parenting. But there's some things we can draw, some principles from it, and we're going to do it two different ways. So I want to start by kind of retelling, if you would, part of this narrative from the perspective of, of the father, of the parent in Luke chapter 15. Maybe he would say, my, my younger son always seemed restless. He had a bent toward rebellion. And one day in his late teens, he came up to me and demanded his inheritance of all things. I mean, this would be difficult for me because it involved dividing up the land that I actually planned to leave for my children when I died, and it, and it, was, um, it was so disrespectful, so demanding of him. It was as if he was saying to me, I wish you were dead, so let's just get on with it and give me what I'm due. Now, in my culture, normally if a son <laughs> would do that, you just boot him out the door. But I didn't do that. I decided instead to do what he asked. And according to the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 21, as the younger son, he was to receive a third of everything I had. And so that's what I gave him. And yet, after liquidating his portion of the land and him getting the proceeds, he stormed off. He headed to another country. I thought about stopping him. I thought about chasing after him. But I decided to let him go. Even though every thought in my head screamed, no, don't go. Every day I prayed he would come to his senses. 
Every day I prayed that he would return home because I believed that God had plans to ultimately use his life for his purposes. I even prayed God would make him miserable so that he would come to seek God's mercy. And I always watched for every or any sign of his return, trying not to lose hope, waiting expectedly. Every day I looked out the window that showed the road leading home, hoping against hope that he would come back. Like that captures, doesn't it, the heart of the parent of the prodigal? And let's think about some principles we learn from this father as he is setting up for not knowing whether the son will come home or not, not knowing what's going off on a far, far land. I mean, sometimes I think he had the benefit, right? In our world, we too often know what our kids are doing. He didn't know what his was doing. He just knew that his heart wasn't right. So here's some things we learn, I think, some principles about parenting the prodigal from the father. The first is this, and it's a hard one. Let them leave. Against every instinct, <laughs> I think, the father in this parable doesn't stop his son from leaving. Maybe because he knows that in his heart, the son has left already. Perhaps the father knew that the son needed to experience the consequences of his actions to wise up. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 says, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Maybe this was the only way that his son would realize the foolishness of his ways. Second thing we learn, I think, is to remain in relationship. And I think maybe for me, at least, this is the most important. Even though the dad let his son depart, even though he let him leave, and, and some might even say he empowered him by giving him the money, he didn't let bitterness for his son build up in his heart. I mean, I can imagine even experience some of the, the rejection and the humiliation that many of us um, who have parented prodigals have felt before. Yet the father chooses to build a, writ, a bridge instead of erecting a wall in his heart. Okay? He released his son, but he didn't reject his son. He left the door open for future grace. And where would he have learned that except for from God our father, who has watched us tread down some paths that he didn't bless, some things he knew were wrong, some choices he understood to be foolish, we just had to come to understand those things ourselves. He left the door open for future grace. And number three, don't chase after them. The father somehow knew that his son needed to hit rock bottom. So you can see him resisting this urge to rescue him prematurely. Instead of bailing him out, the father knew that the son had to experience failure because of his choices. And that was hard. And that is hard. 
Because oftentimes it leads us and puts us in a place where all we can do is number four, and that is watch in prayer. It's hard to do. But we pray for our prodigals to experience a heart of brokenness. I mean, life often breaks us, does it not? (laughs) Whether we're disciples of Jesus or not. And when life breaks us, when we live as disciples, we find that God gives us the strength to make it through our brokenness. But when we're not living as disciples of Jesus, life often shows to us our emptiness and causes us to reach back to our Father, sometimes through our family, in order to find strength. It often leads us to return to the God that we once knew and know again. And that's our hope as parents, right? That's why we watch in prayer. That's why we remain open in our hearts so that we can be a bridge back to God when the bottom of life falls out as it so often does. And then number five, while we're doing that, we we wait with hope, right? Waiting, wondering, worrying about a child is hard, but let's not give up hope for our prodigals. So we keep playing, praying, and, and we keep believing because we know that God often leverages the choices of the prodigal or the life that unfolds for them to turn their hearts back toward their parents, toward us. And ultimately, we pray back toward God. This is what I know. Like, God knows exactly where our kids are. God knows exactly what they're doing at any given moment. And I believe with everything that I have that God loves my children even more than I do. And because of that, and because nothing is too hard for him, we don't lose hope, even though our children aren't serving God right now. It doesn't mean they won't come back to him. When you read through the book of Judges and you look at Samson's life, I mean, it is literally at the end of his life as he is being used to hold up a temple, (laughs) and it all comes crashing down around that he remembers God, that he returns to God, and that he comes back to God. He'd reached the bottom, but when he did, he turned around and discovered that God was right there waiting for him. And so while we're watching in prayer, and while we're waiting in hope that our kids will turn around, our prodigals, if you will, Let's make sure that when they do, that they find us waiting there with open hearts toward them. Now, I want to kind of switch it, and in Luke chapter 15, let's think about this through the eyes of the sun, okay? In Luke chapter 15, we have lots of different pictures, lots of different people, but but think about what the younger son, the prodigal, what he might have been thinking in this text. Maybe when he gets to this point where he's going to approach his dad about his inheritance, maybe he's thinking, I couldn't stand my dad's rules. <laughs> Ever felt that way? I was so eager to get out on my own. When I demanded my dad's inheritance, he gave it to me. 
with tears in his eyes, I could see I was hurting him. But I didn't care because all I wanted was my freedom. I wanted to get as far away from him as I could. I was just sure he was the source of my problem, not me myself. And when I arrived at my destination, like I partied like there was no tomorrow, right? Bowing rounds of drinks for all my friends. And yet I found that when the money ran out and when the buzz wore off, my friends were gone. And on top of that, there was this severe famine in the land, so I couldn't find any food, and the only job I could find was working as a, for a pig farmer. Like, my Jewish upbringing should have put the brakes on it because the pigs were unclean, and yet I didn't care because I was hungry. And yet everyone in my life all of a sudden was treating me like a nobody, like I was worthless. And I thought about what life had become, my surroundings. Living in a pigsty, I realized that my soul was emptier than my stomach. And so with the stench of pig manure filling my nostrils, I woke up. I remembered the goodness of my father. I thought about how I was being treated, and I remembered how good he treated his servants back home. He treated them so well, and I thought, you know, I would be better off living as an employee of my father than I would doing what I'm doing. Like, I knew I'd blown any chance to be his son. So I was fine with being a hired hand. But I found myself ready to repent, confess my sin to my father and before my heavenly father. And so I rehearsed what I would say and decided I would go home and I would say these words, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And that was my plan. So I got up and I went home. And listen as I read this reunion between the prodigal and this waiting, hopeful prayerful father. Luke chapter 15, pick up with me in verse 20. It says, so he, the prodigal son, he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. So he began to celebrate. Let's talk a minute here about what to do when the prodigal returns. Now, for some of you, thankful, I mean, I've been around long enough to watch for some of you, like this is reflective of your experience. (laughs) Your children have gone the route of the prodigal, and they've turned around, and they've returned from you uh, to you, and I'm, I'm like, I'm so grateful for your journey. But for others, like this is anticipatory at best for a future event. How do we position ourselves in preparation for something special to happen that return 
when there's no guarantee that it's actually going to take place? Well, we're asking the question, where do we go from here, right? What can be done now? And I think the Father is a good model for us as we watch this unfold here in these verses in Luke chapter 15. And the first thing we see with the Father that is that we're to love them faithfully. Okay? Verse 20 tells how the Father responded. Remember, he's watching and he's waiting. And it says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him. He'd been watching, he'd been waiting. He sees his boy coming in rags, feet probably bloodied from the journey, smelling like, like pigs, and, and yet he was not moved with contempt, but instead was moved with compassion. His love for him came flowing out his heart was still soft, even though his son had broken it. It enabled him to receive his son's heart once that heart had been changed. It breaks my heart to watch family relationships become so hardened that even when changes happen, the return doesn't take place because all somebody finds is a wall. Love them faithfully. Number two, accept them unconditionally. The second part of verse 20, it says, he ran and embraced him and kissed him. What it doesn't say is he made his son give an explanation for all his behavior before he would accept him. It says he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him, a moving picture of acceptance. He, he didn't even know if he'd repented. He just knew he had returned. It was enough that he had returned. And it's almost as if in one moment that question, all the questions were answered. I know life's not that simple. But for this father, it was. His son had returned. The son's fear, don't you know, just melted away. What, what am I going to find when I get home? Will he, will he accept me? Will he even look at me? Will he take me as one of his servants? And don't you know that all melted away when his father ran to him and cried over him? and embraced him, one broken heart speaking to another completely different paths, and yet they were together again. And, and, and I think it leads to a couple questions, honestly, right? Because um, there's reasons that prodigal sons turn prodigal. There's reasons that division happens between parents and children. There, there's no longer shared values. There's no longer shared vision. There's struggles about the life I choose versus the life you taught me to choose, those type of things. So how can we accept our son or our daughter or our spouse or our parents without, in our mind, lowering our standards? How can I accept someone that close to me when sometimes I so disapprove of what they have done or what they are doing? Okay? And stay with me because I think there's a big difference between acceptance and approval. And that becomes the key. Acceptance says, I love you because you're my child. I love you because God made you. And I love you even when I don't approve of what it is that you're doing. You can accept a child without approving of their lifestyle. You can keep the relational door to your heart open in that way. And then number three, 
forgive them completely. Okay? Notice how the, the dad didn't even give the son a chance to fill, uh, to finish his lines. I mean, he'd rehearsed them, and he got through some of them. He didn't get to say, treat me as one of your hired servants. The father was so thrilled to have his son home that he reinstated his privileges. And I know a number of you that have history, and I know a number of us that have history that doesn't make it so simple just to say nothing ever happened because some things may even still be happening in that way. But I love how the dad doesn't rub it in. Instead, he rubs it out. He doesn't focus on what has been. He focuses on what is at that moment going on. The son didn't need a sermon. The son needed a second chance. And the dad provided him with that second chance. I mean, the seeds had already been planted long ago in the heart of that child, in the relationship between the father and the son, and now it was time for them to be harvested. And because of that, the father, the son doesn't, doesn't find a father with folded arms in anger and judgment. Instead, he finds a father with extended arms of grace and forgiveness. The father's generosity, like it was undeserved, right? I mean, think about all the son. He'd already wasted half his inheritance. And yet, isn't that what grace is all about? And isn't that how your father in heaven and my father, how he responds to us? And the whole motivation for it is given to us there in verse 24, for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. <laughs> he was lost and now he is found. And sometimes I like to stop there in the parable, right? Because it's a happy ending. And there's some less happy parts <laughs> as we go on in the parable and we deal with the other brother and all of those pieces. And, and that'll be for another time. But, but this I know. There are many of us here that are still watching and are still waiting for our prodigals to return. You know, the truth is we, we can do everything right as a parent and our children can still walk away from the faith. And some of us are examples that our, our parents can do everything wrong as parents, <laughs> And we can still walk in relationship with Jesus all of our lives because we have found him personally. Ultimately, all we can do is our best as followers of Jesus and trust God with the results. And I feel like it would be um, incomplete, perhaps, to leave this message today without acknowledging that some of us here today, maybe some of us that are watching today, um, we're living as prodigals. Separated from our parents, perhaps. Separated from a spouse or a child, perhaps. Separated from God, perhaps. Maybe you found yourself looking around like this boy did at the life you've created, thinking this isn't quite as good as I thought it was going 
to be. I'm a mess. My resources are running out. I need some help. Listen, your father, your heavenly father, is ready to run to you and to restore your relationship with him. Maybe you think, I've been away so long. I've made such a mess of it. How could he ever? And yet the story reminds us that all it takes is for us to turn around. The Bible calls it repentance. For us to turn around, and if we would turn around, we would find that our Father is waiting right there for us. So maybe there's some phone calls that need to be made to people today. (laughs) Maybe there's some crowbars that need to be taken to hearts to open them up today. Maybe, well, maybe we need to come back to God ourselves today. Do you need strength to endure your child's prodigal journey? Do you need help along the way of how to address them? So we're going to sing, and and the song may be familiar to you, maybe not, but we chose this one in particular because it's God again modeling to us how we should live as parents to our prodigals. And so if you need to talk, if you need to pray with myself or one of our leaders before during this song, uh, after the service, I'm just going to step right down, stand in the corner here. Um, Why don't you stand? I'm going to pray, and then let's listen to the message of this song to close out our service today. Stand with me. Father, thank you for um, modeling for us what it looks like to have a heart of love for our children. And Lord, for some, it's other relationships in life, and you know that, and you're, you're making the application through your Holy Spirit to our lives. But the question is, is there something for us to do today? Is there a step for us to take towards you or towards someone else? Is there an opening of our heart that needs to happen, a connection that needs to happen in a way that would bring honor to you and make someone one step closer to you as their Heavenly Father? as you are our Heavenly Father. Lord, we submit ourselves to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.